abundant life is our topic this morning from John chapter 10 and verse 10. The world promises all sorts of abundance, and uh, for many, they uh, define it differently than we do. Uh, but we wanted to look at this biblically, from a biblical perspective. What is an abundant life? Do we have it? Or what is keeping us from it? I've seen some YouTube videos recently that, uh, uh, one in particular, I got a few seconds into it and couldn't stomach it, uh, but they were highlighting these young guys who had struck it rich this year, and uh, maybe three, four, five guys, something like that, and uh, just uh, showing their Lamborghinis and showing their Las Vegas uh, mansions and all of this. And to the world, that is the abundant life. That's it. Uh, to me, uh, frankly, it just seems stressful. Uh, it's a lot of taxes and a lot of trouble, and, uh, you know, it's a lot to worry about. Uh, but everyone is seeking abundance. The truth is, God promises that we can have and should have an abundant life as Christians. Doesn't mean a Lamborghini, necessarily, or a Las Vegas mansion, but that might be a good thing, all right? But God wants us to have a truly abundant life. Christians ought to be living lives that this world look, would look at and say, boy, I, I, I want that. I want what he has. He might not have a million bucks, but he's got peace. Uh, he might not have a Lamborghini, but he's got, he's got, uh, he sleeps at night. Uh, you know, he has provision. And, and uh, Christians ought to have a life of joy, peace, and, and purpose that this world cannot emulate. In our text, John 10, verse 10, we see this promise to us, but the Bible says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God's plan for you as a Christian is not just that you would have life, that you would merely exist. God's plan for you as a Christian is that you would have life that is considered more abundant life. So are we living this life? And if not, how can we get there? Let's back up to verse 1 and we'll get some of the context here in this passage. John 10.10 10 is our text, but we'll get the passage uh, uh, context to help us this morning. <clears throat> verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers." This parable spake Jesus unto them. But they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. And all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If any man, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And by the way, that verse is an encouragement to anyone who is not a Jew. Anyone who's a Gentile. Uh, He was talking to his Jewish fold. But he said, I've got other sheep, not of this fold. And we're going to be together. One one fold and one shepherd. And so uh, I say amen to that. Verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Lord, help us as we consider the more abundant life promised by our Savior to every Christian. And I pray, Lord, that we would recognize what it is and also what is keeping us from it and how we can live this life, Lord, for your glory. I pray your help for me as I preach, your enabling grace, and for each one here as they receive the word. We thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll start by just diving into what is the more abundant life. Let's look at this. And this passage does not go into all the specifics here in the passage, but it does give us a good analogy as it talks about the sheep and the fold and the pasture and the shepherd and so forth. Truly, I believe the life of a sheep is an abundant life. Now, you might not see it that way, but uh, you know, someone could say, boy, these sheep are so confined. They're locked up in this sheep fold. They've got to follow that guy around. They have to stay together. They can't think for themselves. Well, there's no freedom in that. No freedom of, of personal expression and, and uh, you know, personal direction. Uh, boy, that just sounds terrible. I would argue otherwise. And I would say, as you look at this analogy, you're going to see that the sheep have it pretty good. They have a pretty abundant life with the shepherd. I am glad for the terms and, and the specific choice of words here that he didn't just say, I've come that they would have a life. He said, but they would have it more abundantly. I'm very glad for that. God wants you and I to not just, as they say, survive, but thrive living the Christian life. So let's consider this analogy of the field and and what is this more abundant life. Remember, sheep are kind of dumb, okay? You've seen probably a few YouTube videos that mock sheep and the dumb things they do. Well, uh, they're Dumb and defenseless, but the Lord takes care of them wonderfully. Let's look at it here. The more abundant life consists of provision, first of all. Food and water without any worries. Now, wouldn't that be nice? You never, ever have to worry about where the provision's coming from, how much is in the bank. These guys didn't have to build the sheepfold. They don't have to pay the electric bill for the sheepfold. They don't have to worry about the door. Is it going to break down? Uh, or anything they just they just they just live and dinner is served every day 
Uh, the, the shepherd says, here's some sweet grass over here, and they have a great meal. Let's go over this way up to this beautiful hillside, have some grass over here, and it's beautiful. Let's go on to the brook, this beautiful brook, and drink all you want. Food, water, all you can want. They don't have to forage. No, no, no fretting, no worries. Just simply follow the shepherd, and you're taken care of. Hey, that sounds abundant to me. That sounds pretty good. You've got provision. You've also got protection in this abundant life. You know, sheep are not known to have any self-defense skills. You ever seen a ninja sheep, you know? Uh, or uh, see a sheep karate kick somebody? No, uh, they don't have any self-defense skills at all, except maybe getting scared and running headlong off a cliff and just ending it, you know? <laughs> I, I wouldn't call that self-defense. Um, but sheep are really in need of protection. With the shepherd, they're good. They don't need to worry about the wolves. They don't need to worry about putting up a defense. They've got protection from the shepherd. You know, I'm glad that we can defend ourselves in this country, but I'd sure rather not have to, wouldn't you? It wouldn't be great if we never had to defend ourselves ever. Well, uh, when it comes to God's sheep, he does protect us. He protects us from wolves. He protects us from weather. He's got this shelter, this fold. They can go in and they can find shelter from weather. If they get a wound... The shepherd knows how to heal. We've all seen the picture of, of, of Jesus with the lamb on his shoulders, with the broken leg and all. Uh, Jesus is tender. He's a loving father and a loving shepherd, and he will give protection. The wolves prowl and they howl, but the Lord can put all of them to flight. In this analogy of sheep and shepherd, the more abundant life, we see provision and protection. We see peace as well. You know, he knows everything that we have need of. And he knows what we need before we even ask. He knows what we need uh, before uh, we can even think to pray. Sometimes we don't even know what we need. You ever thought about that? There are times I have had a need that I didn't even know about. And not only did God meet the need before I asked, He met the need before I knew I should ask. Before I even knew it was a need at all. God gives complete peace when we trust Him. He's completely trustworthy. There's nothing to fear about. There's nothing to worry about. Sweet peace comes with simple trust. I think about those sheep in the sheepfold. And uh, they're just in there, sleeping, there might be wolves howling. There might be all kinds of craziness. There might be stock market crash and who knows what all, nuclear war, but the sheep are just in the fold with their shepherd. They don't know any better. And it's, it's all good. Life is good. I'm with my shepherd. I've got peace. There's safety within his fold. You know, people can look at sheep and say, oh, come on. You've got to come out here. This is where the living is. You know, come out here. This is where we can have freedom to do what we want. What freedom is it where you're out of the protection as a sheep and all the worries and all the uncertainties? And yeah, you can go wherever you want, but there is wolves stalking you at every turn. I wouldn't call that freedom. I'd rather take the peace of being with the Savior, the shepherd. In this abundant life, you also have pleasure. Yes, God wants you to have pleasure. At the right hand of God, the Bible says there is joy and pleasure forevermore. Taste and see the Lord is good. Life is good in the fold. With everything taken care of, there is now the freedom to enjoy life. 
You know, that's one thing that folks who don't have the Savior miss out on. They might have everything that they want, but with all of that comes worry and stress and cares and burdens, and some people have so much stuff that they can't even enjoy it. Can't enjoy it. There's too much to worry about. I remember a co-worker of mine, he had bought a, a big yacht, just a gorgeous, huge. And I remember every day, it seemed like every day, I'm in my cubicle, doing my thing with my phone, taking calls, he's in his, and he'd have to call down to the boat, and, to the boatyard and make sure they were doing this and make sure doing that, and he'd be stressing about it. They didn't put the, 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 the right cover on it. They didn't do this. They did. Every day, he was complaining about that boat. And I thought, isn't it ironic? He buys the boat so he can go out and have a great weekend and relax. And the guy he stresses about it all year long. I hope he relaxes when he gets on the boat. Uh, but the, I hope it's fun because that's the only window of fun he's got and the rest is more uh, stress. You know, the life of a sheep is one of freedom and one of pleasure. Now, to the world, they can't get this. They say, how can you have pleasure and freedom when you're stuck inside the, those walls with that shepherd guarding the door, keeping you in? Uh, no, he's keeping the wolves out. To us, it's a paradise. To others, it's a prison. No, but life is good. You can actually enjoy the scenery, the smells. You can actually enjoy a sunset and a sunrise because there is no worries as you're trusting the Lord. He wants you to have pleasure. Also, in this abundant life, there is purpose. We read a moment ago in verse 3 that he knows every one of their names. He knows every one of our names. Every sheep is known of him. He has a specific relationship, a specific calling, a specific purpose for each one in his fold. A plan for every life. You know, purpose is one of the greatest things that God gives us. Purpose is something that, oh, some millionaires and billionaires don't have. I, I remember watching last year, I think it was in 2020, I watched a, a little video that was interviewing some young guys about my age about real estate. My brother's a real estate agent. He's gotten into real estate and I was curious about some things. So I, I looked up this video and they're interviewing these three young guys. They were probably my age or younger and they had just knocked it out of the park in real estate. And uh, they were asking all these questions and the guys, I mean, they had their answers and they just knew what they're talking about. But when it came to this question, they were a bit puzzled. What's your purpose? What are you going to do with all that you've, all your money, every, every, everything that you've attained and acquired, what's your purpose? At that point, it got, it got a little weird. <laughs> Those young guys didn't quite know where they were going with this. They, they fumbled around, with, ah, maybe charity, you know, it's good to give back to the community. Uh, we're gonna, I, and one guy basically was honest and just said, you know, I'm young. I haven't figured all this out yet. I don't even really know where all this is going. I just know, I just gotta keep it going and I'll hone it, we'll get there, we'll figure out what we're doing here in a little bit. I thought, wow. Young guys taking over the world, and they don't know what they're doing, where they're going, or why, why they're doing what they're doing. It's sad. There's no purpose. You know, God has given us each a purpose. He knows us each by, by name. This is one of the greatest gifts of the more abundant life. Provision, protection, 
peace, pleasure, purpose. And this is what the thief comes to, to, to steal. Some other verses that back this up, uh, Jesus said all these things. If you're if you have a red-letter edition Bible, all of this will be in red. I'm just going to read you some verses here quickly. Matthew chapter 6, all these will correspond to the, the words on the screen of, of provision and so forth. Matthew 6.32, your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. That's provision. John 10.15, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. That's protection. His own life he lays down. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He gives us peace. Jesus gave us this. It's our inheritance as Christians. John 15, 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Joy, pleasure, true fulfillment in life. And John 15, 16, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. He chose us. He ordained us. There's purpose there. God has not lost sight of any of you. You've not been lost in the shovel or fallen through the cracks. This is the inheritance of the believer. These things, this is not the whole abundant life, but this is a good chunk of the abundant life of a sheep within his fold. So you could say, well, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's nice and all, but I don't have it. So what's going on? Well, there's two halves to this verse. The second half says he's come to give you life and give it more abundantly. But the first half talks about the robber who's out to steal it. There is a certain thief, and we need to talk about him for a few minutes. There's a thief, and he has tactics we need to be aware of. Look at a few verses here. Briefly, to talk about the thief. John 10, 1. Verily I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. John 10, 8. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. John 10.10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. So what do we learn about the thief from these passages of Scripture? First of all, he will not meet you head on. He's too crafty for that. He doesn't come knock on the door. Knock, 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 knock. Hello, I'm the thief. I'm here to rob you of your abundant life. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Jesus is the door. That's the strong point. And we're secure in Christ. He, he cannot pluck us out of his hand. John 10, 27 uh, through 30 talks about that. But he will try to rob all the blessings of the abundant life. He will come up some other way. <clears throat> He'll come over the wall. He'll come through a crack, some breach somewhere, through the back door, or uh, we've left some some, stump, uh, some handholds and footholds out there, and he will find a way, a window, something. He'll get in there by craft and stealth. He does not take us on at our point of strength. No, he's going to look for what we have left wide open. You know, sometimes we look at our strengths and we, we start to feel good about ourselves. We want to be encouraged. 
it's good to be encouraged. So you say, well, you know what? I'm doing this good. I'm doing this, this, and this good. You know, I'm really strong over here. That's looking good. And, oh, look at this. I'm really strong over here. Look at this. I got some strength in my life. That's not where Satan's going to attack. You better get used to looking for things that you don't want to talk about. The, the cracks and the chinks and the crevices that, yeah, you kind of know you got them in that back wall, but, I mean, come on, nobody's perfect. Can we focus on the strength here and the strength here? You can focus on that all you want. Satan would love for you to focus on that and make yourself feel good while he comes through the crack in the wall behind you and robs you blind. We've got to get real and get honest about our weaknesses and, and ways that we have left the door open to the robber. And we've all done it. And by the way, this will help us when, <laughs> when you look and see a friend of yours that you respect, you respect their walk with God, maybe you say they're way ahead of me in their walk with God and they're just so spiritual and whatever, and then you see them struggling in some way or floundering or a failure here, or a flop, a face plant there. You say, what happened? They're so strong. Well, it wasn't the strength that was the problem. It was the weakness. And everybody has them. Your strong friend and maybe spiritual mentor has them too. And if we don't shore up those weaknesses, Satan continues to come and just bleed our abundant life dry. As you go into the new year, it's good to take an inventory. My wife and I have been talking about this and doing this. And it's good to talk about where you've grown, what you have strengthened, and, and what God has done. Yes. But don't just focus on that. Where have I opened a door? Where are some weaknesses? Where is a place that I have given uh, occasion for the devil to come into my life unwanted and let shore up that weakness? or else he will just continue to take advantage of you. He will not meet you head on. He will rob you blind. And I want to talk about how he robs us here. He robs us of our peace, our purpose, our joy. He robs us of our faith. Yeah, the devil can literally just, just suck the faith right out of you. Where you used to pray and trust God, you used to believe God for things, and now he, he, he has got you so confused, you're like, well, I don't even know if I can trust God anymore. That's the robber, robbing you of your faith. And one thing he robs us of, and this I'm, I'm the most passionate about this morning, he robs us of, of our life itself. Life is the most valuable commodity God's given to us down here, you know? It's, it's pretty valuable. And time is, is what life is made up of. Years and months and days, hours, minutes, seconds. I've thought about this a lot in my own life. How much time has Satan robbed me of? How much of my life has he robbed me of? How many days have I spent in despair without joy? How many days have I spent angry and bitter, chafing, and, and just upset with people, upset with God, upset with life, just upset. How many days has he robbed me of the blessing of, of peace and joy and satisfaction? You know, as I've thought about this in my own life, it was just, it was very humbling 
How much of my life has he robbed me of through worry and fear? Stuff outside of my control, uncertainties and anxieties, and, and you just worry, 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 and before you know it, you look back and you've been worrying for days, maybe weeks, maybe, hopefully not years. Satan can't get you out of the fold. But he can get the blessings of the abundant life and he'll take those out of, you, the, out of your life, out of the fold. How does he do it? Let's talk about how he robs us blind. I think <clears throat> uh, we already mentioned that, that, that he's going to do this in a subtle fashion. He's going to be crafty about this. He's not going to do this head on. So let's, let's talk about some more subtle things that he does to rob us. Discontent, I think, is first and foremost... You could mention all kinds of things here. But discontent. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. I know in my life, one of the ways that Satan does that the easiest is through discontent. Happens through comparison. And you have unmet expectations. It's easy to compare my life with their life. My kids with their kids. My job, my career with their job or career. In my case, my, my ministry and my church with that guy's ministry, that guy's church. And, and you can begin to lose perspective. Their marriage is so much better than mine. Boy, if I had a marriage like that, I could really have an abundant life. Boy, if I had kids like that, kids that obeyed like that, oh, our life would be so much more peaceful and so much more enjoyable. And oh, if I had... And we just do this over and over and over, and the discontent grows, and it grows, and it grows. For some, it is, if I could get rid of this person, I'd have an abundant life. And others, it's, I, I, I need this person, and I have an abundant life. And the truth is, all of it is in the shepherd. The abundant life is found in him. Your connection to him, your relationship with him, and what he's given you. Discontent will steal your joy, your peace, your provision, and the abundant life from you. You know, we live in a high-tech world. <clears throat> We've got social media now. And uh, this isn't meant to be a message on social media, but it, it fits here. Uh, social media has done great things. Like, one of the greatest things social media has done is helped the gospel spread, okay? I, I thank the Lord whenever I see on Facebook the gospel being spread. Some of you are great, faithful. You, you, you post verses, you post videos about the gospel, and, and uh, it's tremendous. YouTube videos. I know some folks in our church ha, are, make gospel-oriented YouTube videos for their channel. Phenomenal. God's using social media in some good ways. But with everything, there's a good and a bad, right? And discontent is sown online as much as anything. You look at their vacation. You look at their weight loss. <laughs> you look at their uh, uh, disciplined life and their exercise routine and, and uh, their ministry, their marriage, their whatever, their kids. My wife and I have talked about this a lot. We both have our own areas. I might compare myself more to pastors and ministries. My wife will compare herself with uh, young moms, homeschool moms, and all of that. It's just easy to, to, to do that, right? And I remember one time, my wife was having a, 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 a tough day with the kids, and she said, "Honey, when you come home, I'd just like to go out and shop and leave you with the kids. I said, absolutely, we got this. 
So uh, we, we have the meal, and then afterwards, uh, she says, are you sure you have this? Oh, yeah, we'll be good. She goes out. I said, just make sure you come back. Okay, make sure you come back. Uh, but go have, have a good time. So she goes out, I'm, and I'm like, I'm determined. I'm going to have the dishes done. Everything's going to be cleaned. The kids are going to be in bed when she gets back. And, and uh, we're going to get this done. Well, it was a little bit of a wild night. Sometimes kids be, can be like that. They're just a little bit harder to keep under wraps. And come on, kids. They get all this energy from somewhere. Uh, must be their mother, right? No, I guess it's probably me. So I was working hard, got the dishes done. The kids were just energetic. And so I said, I'm going to sit them down and have them read. That'll, that'll work. Okay, kids, it's reading time. Everyone sit down, line up, grab, grab a book, and just read. He's got my book. Ah, elbows. How, how, we're reading. How are we doing this when we're reading? It's not supposed to be that way. Well, I finally got him calm. I said, I want to take a picture. I took two pictures, and I, I had to work to get these pictures, and I meant to put them in the slides so you guys could see it. I took a picture. Here's Joel reading. Emily's here. Erica's here. They just look perfect. Emily, Erica has her little binky, you know, and then here's Aaron over here reading like a doll, and I, I was just perfect. No sooner had I snap that picture, then it's my book, and right back to whatever. I thought, I'm going to do something. I'm going to text this to Rebecca. So I took this totally staged couple of pictures, sent it to Rebecca. She's out shopping, trying to clear her head from a long day, and her response told me a lot. She said, oh, how'd you do that? That's so amazing. I didn't say anything. And she comes home, and the kids are in bed, of course, I told her don't come home until they are in bed. So I just stay out, stay out, stay out. Okay, now come. <laughs> she comes home, the kids are in bed, things are clean. And she says, how did you do that? I was like, babe, it's a lie. I staged the picture. There was chaos, okay? It was total chaos the whole night. But I said, you know, this is what we've been talking about. This is, this is what you and I both deal with. When you're online, and you just see certain things, you just see what people want you to see, and it's easy to present a certain face, and then the discontent comes, and the comparisons come, and uh, we start to get hard on ourselves, and uh, I, I don't have what they have, and the truth is, folks, we're all in this together. We all have our hard days, we all have our difficult days, and, and, and yet uh, the devil gets us to think, no, you're the only one. You're the only one struggling. You're the only homeschool mom that can't do whatever. You're the only uh, guy who's, who's got a dead-end job or, or, or whatever it might be. He knows what your struggle is, your button, and he pushes it and he robs you through discontent. Sometimes it's coveting. The discontent leads right into coveting. I don't have enough. I need a little bit more. I deserve more than this. Why won't God help me? Sometimes we, we give way to fear. He robs us through fear. Fear breeds anxiety. Anxiety brings despair and sometimes full-blown depression. Ultimately, fear erodes faith. And it's just, it's a killer. He knows what he's doing. He is robbing you of your faith. He's robbing you of your peace. And in the meantime, he is killing you and he is destroying you and he is undermining everything that God has for you and is trying to do in your life. Folks, this whole message, if it helps you, great. But this is a message I've been dealing with. This is something God has been working over in my life. How much 
have I given up by fear? But one thing I need to tell you, Satan is not an armed robber. He is a liar robber. His gun is empty. He has no bullets. He can't touch you. Anything that he robs from you, he talks you out of. And you actually hand it over. Give me that right now. I'll shoot. Okay, okay, okay. What do you, what do you, what do you want? What do you want? That's what we do. Satan cannot take anything from you. First John talks about that. The wicked one touches us not. Touches us not. He, he cannot do that. We're on the victory side. We're in Christ. Christ is in us. He's a swindler. He's crafty. And he gets you to hand things over to him. And that is how he robs you. He, we hand him our faith and he gives us fear and anxiety. Perfectionism is another way he robs and kills and destroys. We condemn ourselves. We're so hard on ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I've got to work harder. I've got I've to stay up all night and do this. I've got I've to get up super, super early and do this. Or it's just not, My life's not going to be good enough. And, and we're trying to have this abundant life. And the abundant life is found in Jesus. It's found in resting in Him. And it's not found in driving yourself. And here's what we do. Us perfectionists, or some of us are not perfectionists across the board, but we're compartmental perfectionists, okay? I'm probably more of a compartmental perfectionist. I could probably use some perfectionism in some areas that I don't have it. But there are times where I, I am my own worst enemy. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have done that. I should have seen it coming. I should have been better than that. How did I let this happen? And you just, just drive yourself. I know better. Come on. I have bigger expectations for myself and you can just keep that up and just grind yourself down. And it's the thief. It's the robber. And it might sound spiritual, but it's not. And he's robbing from you. And he's killing and destroying you. He does this. He robs us through guilt. Guilt. Guilt over failure. Guilt over uh, sin. You take a quick pleasure and you end up with sustained pain. And there's regret and there's the accuser of the brethren. The accuser just keeps accusing and it's all lies, but it seems so real and you're guilty for not being there for your kids like you should. You're guilty for not having a better marriage you're guilty because you failed at your life goals or whatever and and it just is not of god god does not ever grind you into the dirt god doesn't take his foot and just press you into the gravel that is the accuser god is the one who yes he convicts us and then he lifts us he restoreth my soul he's the good shepherd yes we have that broken bone or that sheep with the broken leg he points that out he sets it ow but then he puts us on his shoulders he, he 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 takes us back and he nurtures us god is gracious merciful and forgiving and through that we continue to know the abundant life but satan the thief will use guilt to rob you and suck the life right out of you. Again, he doesn't have to hit you head on. 
It's more effective not to. He's just going to bleed you dry by robbing you a little bit here, a little bit there through these subtle ways. And we need to recognize we can take back control of our life because Jesus said, I am come to give you life and that you'd have it more abundantly. This is my birthright as a believer. We don't have to sit there powerless before the thief. It says, uh, year of your father, the devil, John 8, 44. And the lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Did you see that? He is, he is dishonesty personified. No truth in him. All lies. So how do we have victory against this thief who is robbing us, who is destroying us and killing us and taking our abundant life from us? We've got to, first of all, identify the lies. Identify the lies. There's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. I read a book recently, and uh, he talks about, uh, the, 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 the author of the book talks about how he, uh, he played a trick on the, his assistant pastor. And uh, 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 they were going back and forth, I think, playing tricks. And so this one morning, he came into church, and he had this idea, I think that that assistant pastor is going to scare me. I just have a feeling he's in the closet. And he was. And sure enough, when he's, uh, he's in the closet, he slammed that door shut and put, a, and put his foot against the door. He said, I got you. You tried to scare me, but now I got you locked in the closet. And you're going to be there all day. Now, there was no lock on the closet. Most locks don't have a closet. Uh, most closets don't have a lock. There we go. So he said, I'm going to take this chair. I'm going to wedge it underneath the door handle and you're going to be in there all day. Well, he recognized the chair was the wrong height. He could not get it under. But it made a big noise and it sounded really convincing. And so he thought, I'll just walk away and see what happens. So he makes this big ruckus. He said, all right, pastor so-and-so, you're locked in the closet. The chair is underneath the door and I'm leaving, in, I'm leaving you in there all day. No, don't do it. Don't do it. You gotta let me out. I got stuff to do. Nope, all day. Well, he goes on and he oh, the guy's gonna come out. He's gonna try the handle. He's gonna walk out the door. Well, he goes to his first appointment of the day, this pastor, and and uh, he's he's sitting there having marriage counseling, and he hears something in the ceiling. That assistant pastor had climbed up the shelves of the closet, gone through the uh, the tiles, the ceiling tiles and was carefully trying not to fall through. And now he was over the senior pastor's office and he said, a tile lifted up and here's the face of the assistant pastor looking down at this pastor and the young couple he was counseling. And he said, uh, I'll explain this later, folks. And he's like, hey man, you better get back over there. Hey, don't fall through my, my ceiling, you know. Bottom line, the guy was there for a while. They got him down, but he had believed a lie. The lie was, I am locked in a closet and I, I'm going to be here all day. He believed it so much, it was so convincing, he didn't even waste the energy to take his hand, go to the handle, and try it. Just see. Have you ever been there? Now, now you, you might laugh at him, and I, I had to laugh, but I thought, 
that has been me more times than I would like to admit. Satan is a liar. And he says, I got you locked, Barbara. I got you locked in this closet. You're never coming out. This is who you are now. You are a failure. You are a bad dad. You are a horrible spouse. Or you fill in the blank. You are a fill in the blank. And you're stuck. And that's just who you are. And you're just, oh. You don't even worry about trying the handle. But you don't like being stuck. And the anxiety and the fear, you go mad in the closet, it's dark and it's scary. And so you start climbing the walls. And you'll climb the walls and out the ceiling before you'll try the door handle. That's what Satan does. He knows how to lie so convincingly. We've got to identify these lies. Stuff like, I can't have an abundant life as long as this person is in my life. Satan loves that one. But the truth is that it was never about this person. His promise was never about any person other than his person. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The only person that it hinges upon is Jesus and your relationship with him. There have been a lot of people who've had abundant lives who were surrounded by people that really were a drain. Look at the Apostle Paul. He had people in his life that let him down, people that betrayed him, people that forsook him. He had so many disappointments, and yet Paul had an abundant life. There was no other relationship in his life that it hinged upon. It was Jesus that his abundant life hinged upon, and so it is with you and me. Somebody says, I can't change. My life can't change until their life changes. That's a lie. Nobody can have an abundant life with my current situation, my job, my this, my that. That's a lie. Or this one, I can't have an abundant life with my health condition. That's a lie. And we've seen it. We've seen so many Christians who have had such difficult health trials and yet retain the pleasure, the purpose, the peace, the abundant life of God. I'm a failure. I can't have an abundant life. That's a lie. There's no use in trying. I've tried and tried and tried and tried. There's no use. That's a lie. I, I, think, I think God must be mad at me. That's a lie. No, God loves you. And God is trying to work in your life for his glory. Identify the lies. And then secondly, stop the blame. No one controls your destiny but you as you respond to the Lord. Or as you yield to the devil. Stop blaming other people, other situation. My life would be better. I could have this abundant, full life that I dream of if... No, 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 no. Don't blame. No one can keep you from the abundant life that God has promised you. No one. We're going to stop with the if only talk. If only my parents were Christians. If only I had gone to Christian school and Christian college. If only I had a better career. If only I had a a, a Christian spouse. Or if only I had a, a better spouse or whatever. If only my kids would obey. All of this really is blaming in a roundabout way. It's blaming God. Because God is in control of all of these circumstances. And God is the, is the one who says, I can work all things together for good. 
to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So, so we've got to recognize that the if-only talk is really the talk of, of, of blame. We are not to see ourselves as victims. This culture is all about victims. Something bad happened to you, find somebody to blame. It's just the default thing. We're not going to put any blame on you. Find somebody else to blame. You're a victim. No, God says that we are victors in Christ. Don't blame God, folks. He is actually the only one in your corner. The only one. You might have friends who are faithful 364 days out of the year. But what about that one day? Hey, they're human. Nobody is a perfect friend. No one is a perfect spouse. No one is a perfect brother. There is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. There is one person who is truly in your corner, and it's God. You know, you aren't even in your corner half the time. We think we are, and we're actually fighting ourselves, shooting ourselves in the foot all day long. You are the one you need to be the most concerned about. Not everybody else. Not God. He is for you. No one can take your life from you. No one can take your abundance from you. Stop blaming. Identify the lies. Stop the blame and embrace the truth. Embrace the truth. John 8.32 says, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth makes free. We got to think right. I'm working on this. I'm working on this hard. It's amazing how my thinking gets off. I've mentioned this before, folks. I can see your wrong thinking. I can, we can talk and I can see it. And if you have a mental rut, I can spot it. So oh, there's a mental rut. We've been through this several times. Uh, you know, uh, okay, that's a mental rut. And I can help you, but I can't see my own. I can't see my own mental ruts. My wife helps with that. Honey, you know, we've said this several times. If this conversation comes up a lot, ah, you're right, you're right. And, and that's why we need each other. That's why we need to be close and have relationships. And that's why we got to get in the truth and embrace truth because truth fixes the wrong mental ruts. You know, we need a truth rut. The wagon wheels of our mind tend to just slip so easily into these ruts and we just roll We've done it so many times, we don't have to think about it. It's just like automatic pilot. This trigger, that trigger, I respond, flop down and do whatever I do. My bitterness, my despair, my worry, my anxiety, my griping, my complaining, my anger, whatever it is that we do, we just do it. God says, if you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. He can pop you out of that rut, or you can make a new rut, a scripture rut. Meditate on scripture, meditate on truth. I've been encouraged so, through some reading I've been doing personally to write out truth declarations and, and, and go over those in the morning. I am free. I am a victor. I am God called. I am chosen. I am accepted. Whatever, there's a million things you could put there. I am a child of God. And meditate on, uh, on what, what is real, what is true. I am forgiven. I am accepted in the beloved. Meditate on truth. Praise and give thanks and sing. It is good to sing. It's good to give praise verbally. It can lift your spirit out of a rut onto the truth. 
Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? John eleven twenty five. Do you believe this? Yes, I do. Lord, help my unbelief. But you have a resurrection life for me. Help me to depend upon you. We're going to close with this. We've looked at the abundant life, what it is. The abundant life in that sheepfold. Provision and, and peace and pleasure and purpose, protection. We identified the thief and his tactics. He comes craftily to, to rob us of everything and to kill and destroy. Now let's focus on the shepherd and his voice as we close here. John 10 and verse 2. He that entereth by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice, and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, and they know not the voice of strangers. His voice. Do you know his voice? John ten fourteen. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. It's both. He knows you, praise God, but he's known of his. How well do you know him? Verse 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Again, there's the idea that sheep are supposed to know his voice and be able to follow it. The best way to identify the voice of the thief is not to, not to study Satan, is to study Jesus. That's the voice that we need to know. When I was live streaming, I, uh, I was curious who was there, but I, 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 was, I was tuning in specifically for when Andrew was doing my life group on Sunday night. And I thought, I wonder who all's there. I wish, I wish the camera would do a, a, a back out pan and I could see who's there, you know? But you know, Andrew asked a lot of questions and had people read and had people discuss and a lot of people put their, their, their voice in and so I perked up every time. Like, oh, I know that voice. Oh, I know that voice. They're here, they're, you know, and it was good, it was good. I wanted to see who of my church families at church. But one thing was interesting. I had Erica on my lap and uh, she, uh, my wife went, but I stayed home. So she was listening for mommy's voice. Well, on that particular night, my wife had several things that she contributed and read passages of scripture. And every time Erica would stop coloring, perk up, that's mommy, that's mommy. She didn't care about anybody else, sorry guys. Uh, but every time mommy said something, that's mommy, that's mommy. You know, she doesn't need to know every voice, but she needs to know mom's voice. You and I, we could drive ourselves batty trying to figure out everything. You gotta know him and his voice. How well do you know him? If you want an abundant life, you need to hear his voice and follow him. He will not lead you to a dry brook. He will not lead you to parched grass. There's not going to be a hole in the, in the shelter. He's not going to deceive you. Listen to his voice. And when you know his voice, you then can turn on the thief and say, I don't know you. You're a stranger. Get out of here. You're not taking this from me. My Savior, my Shepherd has promised me a life that is more abundant. You have nothing for me. All you can do is take from me. I will not be enticed by the voice of the thief. 
We've got to start fighting the devil. We've got to start getting, getting uh, vigilant about this matter. We are being robbed. I don't know if anybody in here has had their identity robbed. Identity theft is a big thing. I have not had that happen, but I have talked to those who have, and they say it's just awful. It's the most horrible feeling. Friends of ours came home with their family uh, in Milwaukee after a day of ministry and serving the Lord to find their house broken into and completely ransacked. Whatever the thieves wanted, they took. They said they walked around through the various rooms, just gut-wrenching. Just You feel so violated. All of your stuff has been rifled through and valuables, disrespected. It's, it's a horrible, horrible thing to be robbed, right? But none of us stand for it. As soon as that happened, he picked up the phone and he called and he had a report and a policeman came out. None of us stand for that. I remember when someone had my credit card and they spent $500. I came unglued. I don't know how you got my money, but you're not spending my money. I was on the phone that fast. Shut this thing down. Someone's stealing from me. Why don't we respond vigilantly in the spiritual battle? Like Satan, we just, have to, we just have to give him his stuff. He wants more, okay, okay. Another lie, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. What else did you want? Okay, sure, here you go, take it. It is time for Christians to recognize I'm not supposed to just eke out an existence. I'm not just supposed to follow the sheep, like, oh, follow the shepherd like, oh, life stinks. Yeah, I'm in the fold. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm saved, but boy, this all stinks. That's not the life that God has for us. It's a life of abundance, of peace, of pleasure, of purpose, of fulfillment, and anything less than that, folks, and you're being robbed. And it is sad to me how many of us as Christians live out an existence that does not do justice to what God wants to give us. We ought to know happiness. We ought to know peace. We ought to be able to pick each other up and to encourage one another and no matter what it is that we're dealing with, we ought to know my life, my abundant life is rooted in my Savior. Not these people, not these things, not any situation. I can praise Him. Identify the thief and guard your abundant life and get to know the voice of your shepherd. In this new year, I hope and pray that each of us will take this matter seriously to be vigilant to know his voice and to know the abundance that he has for us lord i pray that we would not come short of the life that you want us to live and lord I, i'm not saying it's going to be easy and you didn't say it was going to be easy you said that there's going to be tribulation there's going to be trials so we recognize this is not uh some health wealth prosperity gospel but Lord, it is real that you want us to have an abundant, joy-filled, peace-filled life of abundance. Help us, Lord, to identify the robber, the lies, and to meet it with truth. Help us now, I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let's stand to our feet and talk to the Lord for a moment as the piano plays softly. Would you turn to your shepherd and identify that thief 
And by His grace and with His truth, would you not allow the thief to rob you of that abundant life anymore? Give him the discontent. Give him the comparisons. Give him the guilt. Give him the frustration, the bitterness, the anger. Give it to God. His grace is sufficient. If you have a need in your life, I'd love to talk to you about it after the service. If you're not sure you're saved, oh, that's the most important thing, to know that you're in that fold. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Let's have a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Pastor CJ if you'd come and dismiss us with prayer, and we'll see you a little willing tonight at 6 if you're able. Pastor Barbara, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we do have abundant life in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we don't have to wait to heaven to experience it, but we can have that experience now. Father, I pray that the Spirit would fill us, that he would guide us, that Jesus would be evident in our lives, and we glorify you, Father. Protect us now as we travel home and back tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Good to see you. God bless. You're dismissed.